coming up on the Louis Diaz podcast. Now, I guess like, if there's always this pursuit to have to have these beautiful exchanges between people, and I really do value the generosity and kindness and the inclusion that I've been granted through throughout this journey. Hi, and welcome to the Louis Diaz podcast, the podcast where you'll meet some of the most fascinating and incredible people from all walks of life. And together, we're inviting you in to be our special guest as we take you through some of their amazing experiences, adventures, and journeys. So sit back, and I hope you enjoy this episode of the Louis Diaz podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Louis Diaz podcast. I have someone I'm actually really excited and over the last hour or so, started to get really nervous to um, be speaking oh. to. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, Lucy Barnard from Tangles and Tales. Just a quick one. Lucy's attempting to be the first woman to walk the length of the earth. And, you know, there'll be more to come on that. But, yeah, I got super nervous. No, well, hopefully by the end of it, we're like best buds. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> that sure. happens. I'm now friends with lots of people that I talk to online um, because that's just become the natural way of my friendships all online. Yeah, you know what? Actually, I, I can relate to that. And what a great way to connect with people and build beautiful, genuine relationships. Yeah, and you know, I think when I was a kid, right, I um, studied computer science and this is really early in before it was a thing to do and I went into the chat room so I had friends that were chat friends and I've got one to this day who we're now like in real life friends right. <laughs> um, but I wouldn't want to admit to that back in the past because it was something so embarrassing you yes. know yeah. online friends and then there was this online dating business and it's just like so taboo yeah. and um, now and I think mainly with COVID and everything, it's just yeah. so normal to have friends that you've never met in in real life before. Yeah, yeah, it's true. But yeah, why don't you sort of get us up to speed on who you are and what you're doing at the moment? Because you'll do it better than me for sure. <laughs> okay, and you can jump in if I skip like important parts. Um, so my name is Lucy Barnard and I am a Australian adventurer. I work with a dog so wombat is the other part of my brand i guess uh, and together we are making an attempt to be the first woman and first dog to walk the length of the americas so i started in 2017 but because of covid i had to take a two-year break and since we started i have become the first woman to walk the length of the southern hemisphere and then more recently when i returned and finished the colombian leg the first woman to walk the length of south america and getting a bit of attention at the moment is that I successfully crossed the Darien Gap on foot, but I didn't do that on my own. I was assisted greatly with the Indigenous, local Indigenous groups, the Gunayala people and Border Patrol, who were known as Centre Front in Panama. Yeah, and that's, that's Anything it. Anything else? Now we're up to speed. No, <laughs> no, we're up to speed. It's great. Uh, you know what? The nerves are still here. Because it's, it's really, oh. it, it's just so funny. Like it, it, there's a lot of, and I was reading your media page just before and there's just so much that I just wanted to talk about. And, and I scared you. No, no, you haven't scared, <laughs> no, you haven't scared me at all. You've just, you've really delighted me. But the first thing. It's so interesting because, sorry to cut you off. No, 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 I was no. just going to say. You know, when I first started this expedition, it was so out of the realm of possibility for so many people, especially when I was explaining what I wanted to do, um, that usually the first question people would ask is, 
why and not like a nice yeah. <laughs> oh that's so interesting what inspired you to it was like a why the why the hell would you like why why would you waste your time yeah. why would you waste your life that's a lot of money it's, why would anyone want to walk that far it's going to be dank and disgusting and actually mm. when I left I thought it was going to be all beautiful roses and whatever but right now I am walking through some pretty nasty ugly areas mm. just to get out of the city and it's kind of transformed to where people think that it's like what I thought it would be, you know, yeah. the sun and the moon and the stars. And I'm now the opposite. I'm like, well, I'm just walking. I mean, we've all been doing that since forever. And um, because I've been doing it for yeah. so long and it's such an everyday lifestyle yeah. for me now, it's kind of like not as exciting as I thought it would be back in the day. Yeah. So it's, I feel it's so interesting to see this flip of yeah. <laughs> attitude. Yeah. yeah, it must be for you. It's like now instead of people rocking up and asking you why, they're, they're swooning, I guess, to talk to you um, and you're all blasé about it. It's so fascinating. But actually, you don't know this, but I came across you from a colleague of mine, a colleague that I work with. I may as well give her a shout out, Cassandra, because I, I said to her, look, I've got this podcast. I'm looking for really cool, interesting people to connect with. And she was like, oh, have you heard of um, Lucy from Tangles and Tales? And I was like, No. And then she sent me your profile and I was like, hold on a second. It was about 18 months earlier. I went to this gutsy girls film tour with my girlfriend at the time. And I'm like, no way. I saw it. I yeah. saw this woman in a film festival um, walking with a dog. And it was, about, it was about the time, I'm not sure exactly where you were in South America in that film, but they sort of got you up to COVID where you had to sort of leave Wombat there and... I guess come back. I'm not sure. Did you come back to Australia? Is that yeah, what happened? I did. Yeah. That's yeah. like that film ends with a bit of a heartbreak, doesn't it? Yes, and it then does. there's no like resolution. <laughs> yes, it does. It, it does. Exactly. See, you get what I mean. And so for Cass to send me a profile and then for me to see that you're back here on this again and then obviously reaching out to you and you agreeing to do this, that's kind of partly why I suddenly got nervous because I was realizing that this incredible kind of journey that I'm on to to tell these great stories is now starting to have these serendipitous kind of weird coincidental moments in it as well, which is just like, yeah. I love that. And I'm sure that there's going to be points too where people feel nervous. They got, you know, you're going to get the flip of this as well when it becomes just run of the mill and then someone is doing a podcast story with you in the future and are terribly nervous because, you know. Yeah, maybe <laughs> I'll be like, oh, there's nothing to be nervous about. Um, <laughs> But yeah, and then also, you know, I was reading your media page. I was l watching a bunch of the YouTube clips that you've got for people to see. Um, like one of the things that I realized is that you're extremely generous with how much you give to other people. And that's one of the things that I sort of really loved about you before coming to this meeting. And then uh, there's all the other obvious stuff, which is just like the whole wow of what, where you've come from and what you're doing. And then the other kind of little serendipitous thing too was that when I was reading your media page you were like well you know I don't want to talk about this and just to give people context there, there was an accident and I was in almost an identical kind of one myself but it wasn't as glamorous oh, it's so interesting isn't it it's like so yeah and I'm comfortable talking about you know it was a preparation thing it happened five years ago before I was even on this expedition more than five years ago now but I don't think people realize that when you're in a car, so I was in a cycling car accident mm. and um, people don't realize, and, and this happens all the time in media where they just ignore that I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Um, because the first thing they ask is, tell us what happened. And what they're really saying is, 
relive your trauma and it's like I didn't realize this myself because you know a friend has an accident and the first thing you're going to say to them is what happened and you don't realize that you're like sending them back into the arena like it's so horrible to have to relive Um, and so now like I had to be stronger at it because it happened recently and I had to retell it and then I was just really thrown for the rest of the interview Mm. and um, what I really need to be able to learn is to just say look it's not something I like to talk about because it's so awful but yeah, I was in an accident and I had to recover and then I later left to do the expedition and it's no in no way linked to my motivation for doing it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's in no way linked. And that's the other interesting part for me because learning what I could about pre-walking Lucy, I kind of got this idea of you that you've just always been a go-getter. And I guess when I have these discussions with people, one of the things I really love to learn about them is like, hey, were you always just this kind of adventurous person take us back you know good question because growing up I was that kind of kid who just was desperate to be included I wasn't in the popular groups and I was always very kind and my heart was always on my sleeve and so it was so easy to bully me because I'd be so quick to cry when someone was mean and you know like I still, to this day, I am super sensitive. It's just who I am. Mm. Um, So actually, in terms of being adventurous, yes, I was always very willing to go out and hike and I was always the first one to go onto the high ropes course as a kid and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But what I didn't have was confidence to initiate. You know, like I would never say, hey, do you guys want to go on a trek with me? I saw this and I want to go and do it and work out how it happens and da-da-da-da-da-da. No, but um, when I was at university, so really late in the piece, I met people who were already in the rock climbing circles and they invited me to go and hike and climb with them and I got really obsessed and interested and then I met another friend, Steve, who's like one of my closest friends, who said, do you want to go canyoning? And that became our weekend ritual. Like we all just were very close. We really trust each other. We're all very safe and value, you know, assessing risk. Mm and mitigating it and not being stupid you know like I've gone and done caving with people who are just ridiculous like they try and make it more fun when it's not necessary and then accidents happen you know and so I did that up until I was 30 and then I went on my first overseas trip on my own which you know was a big deal for me because again I like I just didn't have that forward confidence to go out and do this stuff on my own and I it was there where I was stuck on a long bus trip in Argentina that I was like oh this taking so long I could probably walk it faster and then I started researching to see if you could walk the length of the Americas and then that's how it all unfolded that I learned that no women had done it and I was like well I mean that now it's an obligation someone's got to try and then I learned all of this stuff like four people a year attempt this expedition everyone usually quits because Patagonia is so brutal but the excuse they use is that they fall in love with an Argentinian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and let me tell you, like, it was so hard. Like, I got stuck in such bad snowstorms in Argentina that, I mean, I can understand why if you met anyone that was half decent, they would be your <laughs> life partner. <laughs> because in comparison, like, to be in a warm house where there's food all the time and you're not, like, being windblown. Yeah. It would have been a great alternative. Yeah, so I wasn't, I mean, I've always been adventurous, but I've never, I was not confident or outgoing enough to 
initiate those things myself and I really like it meant so much to me to be included and for people to reach out and say hey do you want to give this a go and to be encouraging that now I've remembered that and so whenever someone's starting a new venture whether like with you a podcast or if they they say to me you know I'd like to I, I love the look of rock climbing but I'm scared of heights I'm like well actually I've worked with heaps of people who have, are scared of heights why don't you come with me we won't do anything that you're uncomfortable with and you can just see how far you go and I feel like that's the best approach, you know, like when you're nervous about something, you just go back to the beginning again and try again and see how you feel each time. And I think that's really nice because I never really felt like that was something I could give back to. And so now the things that were most important to me, I try and share and do the same for others. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I love how you turned it from sitting on a bus that was really slow <laughs> and then figuring out if maybe you could walk faster than that. You know, that, that's actually hilarious because, you know, I think that all the time. I live here in Melbourne. We have trams. I get the tram to work. Sometimes we're in traffic and I just think, should I just get out and walk? And you, like, for yeah, me, it's just like listening. You should. <laughs> it's so much better. <laughs> Honestly, like, I, um, I've had the same thought when that's how I got into cycling, truly, because I was just like, this is so boring. I could be, like, doing something more fun. And then I just realized that commute time is perfect exercise time. Like, why waste time commute? Unless you like to listen to podcasts or audiobooks or if you're one of those people that don't get motion sick and you can read. I always feel like maximizing time is so great. Yes. And, you know, next time you're on that tram, maybe jump off and walk. If you've got the time, why not? You're listening to the Louis Diaz podcast. Yeah, I'll be getting honked at. I'll be like, Lucy told me to. <laughs> um, you can buy a shirt that says Lucy told Lucy me to. Told I'll me allow to. that. Yeah, you should totally print those. We could merch those now. Um, but yeah, it's it's funny. But uh, I mean, going back to sort of what I was explaining a little bit, and not that I want to make this about me, but it was an interesting point that you sort of raised before about you know people asking you about something that was traumatic. And like I said, I feel like you're you're very generous with what you give people. So and you you've set really great boundaries around that. But then while I was reading it and the way that you described the events that happened, I was getting myself into a state of like reliving my trauma because I was like, oh, that car please stopped right in my way again and I flipped over it. And there was two things like I, I thought, well, it was on a way lesser scale. I obviously wasn't as injured as you were, but then sort of reading what you were talking about, bouncing out of that, just realizing that the moment that you were able to spring up and keep moving in your life was the greatest moment of your life i loved the way that you put that and i just feel like, like it's so sad in our lives that these events are the ones that sort of get us there because if you never have that yep. happen to you then would you and i feel like because you're you were such an adventurous person you you still would have but for some of us we may never have gotten to that point where we would do that courageous incredible thing that we always wanted to do if we didn't have that tragic catalyst at the beginning yeah right i mean i have to say <clears throat> that i had already decided to do this expedition and was already like a year in planning and this was a thing that happened six months out so the only thing that really was affected in terms of the expedition was my recovery and whether or not i'd be able to get trained up enough to to leave but i know what you mean it's one of those cornerstones of identity is that we know who we are by who we're not so and that's something that you learn as an infant I'm a girl because I'm not a boy um yeah like I mean you just go on and on and on that's the basis or at least that's what we were taught when I was studying that it's like whole in psychology and so then you have an ability and if it's taken away from you then you really understand the difference between being able to walk and not being able to walk um and so 
I guess, in a sense, someone asked me about it recently and they were like, you know, are you ever every day thinking about how grateful you are that you're able to walk and do what you're doing? And um, no, <laughs> it happened yeah. so long ago for me now that it, like I'm just back to being um, ungrateful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking it for granted. Um, <laughs> but then every so often, if I'm trying to motivate myself, I like sometimes I'll try and dive into like the what ifs. And so sometimes it'll be a hard day and then I'll suddenly be walking downhill which is so much easier I'll be like you know this is not that hard and then I'll think back to my recovery and I'll be like oh isn't this so cool that I can do this period and I'll have like a 10 minute high from it and then I'll go back to being ungrateful yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah as you put it but I think that's like that's an interesting point and I don't want to harp on this sort of angle too much but also I think once we've overcome a certain challenge there's another challenge that we need to then aim for and that continuing to be grateful quote unquote for that thing that we got over so long ago i think it might be a way of keeping you stuck in the past a little bit and just hearing you talk it's obvious to me that hell no you definitely don't want to be there you've come so far and you have achieved so much already and you're only sort of halfway through I agree with you. I, I feel like these experiences are kind of the things that shape our maturity and give us a little bit of perspective, but it's not something that you hold on to and carry with you. Yeah. I mean, certainly I understand that there are people who aren't able to let go of trauma and that results in having PTSD. And I don't beat myself up about, you know, you should be more aware of your abilities now because of that perspective you, you have. Um, and I know I say that uh, like I'm ungrateful, but really it's it's probably developmentally in terms of learning about persistence and humility because I was so strong and fit at the time. That was probably the greater lessons that came out of it rather than the ability to walk and talk. Mm. Yeah, one of the other things that really um, caught my attention when I was sort of researching you, I guess, was just how funny you are. You just have such a great sense of humor. <laughs> You know, I, this backfires on me a lot when I try and do it in Spanish. <laughs> I'm like, if I get a laugh out of ten jokes, that's good. Okay, it's yeah, they're they're a little different there. I think um, it doesn't quite translate. I mean, that and my Spanish just sucks, right? So it's not really their fault at all. It's just that I haven't been able to stop and and have the time to really focus on learning Spanish. I could have while I was in Australia, but I was working so hard to raise money that I just didn't, you know. So, no, it's just things that I, you know, sarcastic humour that you throw into the conversation. Yeah, and yeah. usually I like to joke around with women and talk to them about how much better women are than men, that kind of stuff, because <laughs> I love it. I mean, it's a lot different in a patriarchal culture, yeah. so it's, it's appreciated, those yeah. jokes. You sort of epitomize a lot of the strong and um, iconic Aussie characteristics. Um, when I watch your interviews and when I read your writing, it's just like she's got this battler's background almost, you could say, and has overcome this adversity and is bloody funny and just, just constantly laughing and smiling in all your interviews. And I think even one of the hosts cut you off when you were trying to explain about the dog breeds or something like that. Um, and they just sort of just were like, yeah, that's kind of enough. And they just wanted to end the interview. And then you were, <laughs> were just smiling and just talking about the dog breeds. And I was like, oh, this, she's just gold. You're just absolute human gold. 
And so, yes, let's move on. We'll move on from my swooning. I do want you to sort of just quickly give us a, ca- a cap, uh, a recap of geographically what, what that journey's look like. For anyone that doesn't know, I know because I've seen the map. Okay. But for someone that's just listening now, um, how does someone trek their way from Tierra del Fuego, which is at the very tip of South America, through to where you are now, Panama? Sure. Okay. So I started in Ushuaia, which is like an industrial town. And from there, there's a really famous, the bottom of the world sign where a lot of people start their cycling tours and motorbike tours. And so I went beyond that and went right down to the end of the trail there and then began started my beacon there. And I walked through the national park, which then meets the border with Argentina. So I had to then do a border crossing and come back to that point from the other side because I wasn't legally allowed to cross there. And then from there, I had to trek. It ended up being like a a week-long trek to get to the edge of the island because Ushuaia is actually a part of an an island group, an archipelago. So from there, I... um, had run out of food. I lost a bag of food and I'd lost about five kilos of weight and was looking fairly poorly. <laughs> and so I met my first like really good friend who whose family owned this house in the middle of nowhere. It's just amazing. So I waited with him until the kayak crew turned up with a kayak for me and I had to paddle 250 kilometers off the island over to the mainland to the lighthouse over there. So I got out at the lighthouse and then I trekked up through Patagonia. So that takes you through some really famous areas like Torres del Paine, which is a beautiful national park. I'm talking like turquoise blue water, but it's cold, so you wouldn't want to go swimming. But to look at it, it's just beautiful. And there's snow-capped mountains. And I make my way through there and re-enter into Argentina, where it's just open lands. So it's kind of like being high at altitude without being high at altitude. There's not very many trees, but there's a lot of grassy flora and a lot of guanacos and there's some pumas. If you're really lucky, you'll see some of those. And so I continued forward for a really long time, what felt like a long time along that Argentinian strip. And, you know, being on that bus ride, the reason it feels like you're there for so long is because the landscape just doesn't change. So eventually I got up high enough where I attempted to cross back into Chile to walk a really famous and beautiful route for cyclists. It's called the Carretera Austral, which just means the southern road. (laughs) But when I got over there, both Chile and Argentina were having the, the worst storm that they've had in 20 years. So there was a heap of snowfall that came up beyond my waist and I just couldn't trek through that for the periods of time that I needed to with the food that I needed to carry on my back without running out because the days would have been extended or I would have had to it would have taken me instead of seven days it would have taken 10 days so I had to return back to Argentina and it wasn't until I got closer to Santiago that I then followed a coastal route and then after that it turned into the desert so I spent months trekking through the Atacama Desert until eventually once I'd passed into Peru Now, the thing that's really tricky about this expedition is I have to worry about visas all the time. And so I um, only had 180 days in Peru, which meant that I couldn't just do the full mountainous trail that I wanted to do because I'd run out of time. So I got as north as I could in the desert, allowing enough time to pass through the mountains. And then I turned up into the Andes and hiked my way up and was walking at about 5,000 metres the entire duration through Peru. And it was just one of my favorite places to walk 
So once I got through all of that, I dropped down into the severe, like it had been nice and cold and occasionally there were hailstorms, but that was it, no rain really. And then I dropped down into like the border crossing to get into Ecuador and it's really low, kind of near sea level. And so that was the first time I'd experienced like this humid heat. And then the first day, I kid you not, that I was in Ecuador, the rain started. And so every day at three o'clock, I'd get rained on. And it was beautiful, though, because, you know, Ecuador is busy. There's a highway. There's a big city. But I was following an old horse trail that had been created by these two brothers, very adventurous brothers that are Ecuadorian. And it was their hiker-bike trail. That's what they call it. And it takes you through the jungle-like environments and into really old villages and along these muddy tracks so I was just always covered up to my knees at least in mud and some there are some places where there are monkeys playing in the trees and I finished Ecuador and crossed into Colombia and that's when the 2020 that's where I was in the 2020 pandemic was announced so I had quickly crossed into Colombia because there was talk of temporary border closings and I got to the first big city but of course that is where it became apparent that this was like a long game and I wouldn't be able to proceed through the country and because of my visa running out I couldn't just wait it out so I decided to go home while I could and then I returned just this past Christmas and since Christmas I have walked the length of Colombia and I've crossed into Panama through the jungle and have walked as far as the city or at least 150 kilometers north of the city. Wow I'm very visual so while you're talking about these mountainous trails and, you know, the Atacama Desert, you have to have seen some of the most beautiful things that a human being could possibly see on this earth during that time. I've been really lucky. Yeah. And I really enjoy sometimes flicking through my photos and just watching the whole thing play out, like, um, or even just on my Instagram account. It's, it's so nice to watch how the landscape has changed through all of these beautiful areas and it kind of motivates me a little bit too to continue pushing out these photos because like I'm a walking Google map. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. For that, I mean, we haven't touched on Wombat much. Um, so for everyone at home, uh, if you haven't heard already, Lucy's walking with a dog named Wombat. It's a blue healer, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. And you didn't start this expedition with that in mind. Oh, no, I did. So you my did. brand, like the, my blog is called Tangles and Tail and I always knew like the tale is not like a story tale, it's a T-A-I-L on purpose. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I always knew that at some point, I've always had dogs in my life, so I knew I'd get one eventually. Right. But I also knew the stat that people usually quit within the first year of attempting this this hike. And so responsibly, you know, it costs a lot of money to bring a dog back into Australia. And then there's the custom, like it's just a lot of humbug. So I waited a year to see if I would outlast that cooling off period right, <laughs> where people right. tend to go home. And once I'd made that milestone, then I started keeping my ear out for dogs that were coming available. And I actually wanted to get an adult and I wanted to rescue a dog. But every time I would be close to considering seriously taking on one of the rescue dogs, it would become apparent to me that they have an injury that it's just not fair to ask them to be walking on that injury so far every day. and Or they might be a bit snappy and I don't know their history. So I can't say for sure if they're going to bite a child or, and I, and you know, you can retrain that, you can give them a really good environment, but the honest truth is that I walk so far every day that I myself am tired and I haven't always been responding in the best way with patients with wombat, you know, like I can't always just stop 
and give him 10 minutes to have his meltdown. Like sometimes I have to really just pull him along, even though probably it would be faster for both of us if I just let him calm down before continuing. So it's like the reality of how hard the expedition is meant that I really just needed to get a dog that who where there's more variables controlled and I know what he's been through and I, we can trust each other from the very beginning. Mm. So a year into the expedition, whereabouts were you at the time when, when Wombat came along? I was in um, Santiago, uh-huh. which is the capital city of Chile. Yeah. And yeah, I'd heard about a batch of dogs and um, that, that these puppies that were available. But then the breeder had told me that the alpha female, which is the one I would have taken for sure had I been able to, because I wanted a really ferocious, mind-strong dog. But it turned out that she was deaf. And even though they said that I could have her, somebody else, someone else had come along and asked for her especially, and they just sold her underneath me. I was really upset yeah. about it. And then they're like, oh, but they've returned her, so you can have her now. But it turns out she's deaf, so she's probably going to need to be with someone who's going to be with her all the time. And I was like, I know what you're saying, but I need a dog that can be my security. And that means that it really needs to be able to have all its senses. You know, if I'm sleeping at night, it needs to be listening. So I tested all of the puppies to see which ones were going to be better or more interested in learning. And there were a few that I could choose from, so I chose Wombat. Enjoying the episode so far? Be sure to follow us and leave us a review on whichever podcast platform you're listening on. Thanks and enjoy the rest of the episode. Yeah, I'm sitting here kind of thinking as if your experience wasn't going to be challenging enough without the whole, you know, adding an extra layer and adding the dog. But I guess for everything in the sort of cons column that one might think about, there's a pro for you, right? And you mentioned that that was the security, the security piece. But also, you know, obviously heard you talking about isolation and that Wombat is really great company. Yeah, he really is. Um it kind of also just shifted my focus from looking after myself to looking after him. And yeah. so that gave me a bit more of a purpose rather than just mindlessly walking through the desert. But since then as well, I've learned how to um, bet, better battery management on my devices. So it's not even a problem for me nowadays because I just listen to so many books and so many podcasts when it's a hard day. Yeah. I mean, I can't do that when I have to focus on navigating, but I really enjoy passing the time that way if it's mm. a difficult day. Mm. Yeah. And you mentioned also that, you know, you've took um, the hike and bike trail, or if, if that's what it was called, that the Ecuadorian brothers are sort of carved out for people. What does it sort of look like? I mean, oh, this it's whole... amazing. I don't even... And not I just don't know that trail, they... but the, the whole expedition. Are you walking on highways? Are you walking on things that aren't even trails like how do you navigate yeah um nowadays i have a mapping app which is really really good for um like designing the trail that i'm using because i can start at a particular point and then it will help me use hiking trails or narrow roads and places where cars can't go um it's really a very intelligent app and i also spend a fair bit on time online looking for trails that people have designed because there's a lot of cyclists that like to travel from Alaska down to Argentina and they do it that in that direction because the wind is really in your favour right. if you go when that way as opposed to where I'm going. And so sometimes it's really beautiful like I've described and sometimes it's beautiful but very tough like that trail I'm talking about. I don't know how those brothers ever took their bike along there because I fell over a lot just hiking and had tantrums, you know, like, it was so tough. Like, sometimes it was really difficult 
getting my feet to be able to pass through this tall grass mm. um, because you, you like it's so long that you won't realize that you'll step on it with your outside foot and then you'll try and pass with your inside foot and then you trip because your your outside foot's holding the trip wire down if you know what uh, I mean yeah okay yeah, yeah. Um, and then you fall and it's just like <sighs> and then you get up and you're like go again and then it happens like two seconds later so it's just like this constant fight and frustration like the fury was really crazy some days and yet you know you just like I've learned that when I get frustrated like that there's zero point pushing on like you don't just push through you have a sit down have a minute chill out and then when you're a little bit rested you're better placed to be careful with your foot placement and you can like it's easier (laughs) because you're relaxed and you're taking your time um but then there are times like just recently like so i'm actually in panama city right now but i have walked a bit further than that and i had to return because um, wombat had a hot spot on his tail so i just thought i might as well be somewhere uncomfortable while that heals over but i to get out of the city i had to walk along a bridge which was beautiful but illegal to walk across so i had to get an escort and then i headed along a highway but it's like a full highway and hardly any verge so it was kind of stressful and ugly and then it turns out that just by sheer luck they're building a brand new road that's going to be for outbound traffic and it's not open yet it's still in the dirt phase so I was able to walk along it and no one said anything you know like back home I'm sure if you go walking along a construction site you'd be kicked off before you could set foot on it right but here they're like hey have a fun walk blah 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 like no problem whatsoever and then I cut through like some industrial areas slash cheap housing areas. And where my trail went, I mean, that went through this river that was a really dank, like I ended up finding a, ho- a tap after I'd gone through there to wash my legs down because you just don't know what's in that murky, mm. disgusting water. Yeah. Or you probably can imagine what's likely to be in it, right? Yeah. So okay. um, <laughs> days like that, don't know I'm I, like I tried, yeah, it's gross. I think gross. you just make these things funny. <laughs> yeah, that's true and I do like I try not to be like uh, I like I really correct myself and I'm like this sucks because yeah. if I allow myself indulge myself to be negative like that then yeah. I'm gonna have a whole day and then possibly a whole week where I just can't pull myself out of that slump so I try not to let myself get into that in the first place it's yeah. really important yeah for sure yeah so there's been all kinds of challenges with the trails and interesting and you touched on something there that was pretty interesting with the whole you know if you were to do this back home and go on that road that's not a road just yet you'd, you'd be in trouble of some sort you touched on the cultural difference there you know obviously you're this Aussie woman that's doing this crazy ass walk from the bottom to the top of the earth what have you seen and learned culturally about yourself maybe and about the the cultures that you've engaged with yeah i mean you know i think i um i've worked a lot with indigenous groups beforehand anyhow and in the long term i want to be writing really nice pieces about small groups like indigenous groups or people that have an interest that makes them in a part of a very small group of people that are interested in whatever topic that is. So I really, I love celebrating other people's way of life and their achievements. It's something I've always loved doing. And so approaching and learning and going into these areas for me isn't particularly foreign. And I think, I don't know if it's their generosity or just the culture in the countries that I've been in so far, but when I tell people what I'm doing, 
especially the men, they're usually like, oh, that's really cool. Oh, good on you. Yes, of course you can do it. Like, why couldn't you? Blah, 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 blah. And, um, and so then more often than not, people are likely to say, yes, set your tent up behind our house so you're more safe tonight. And just, and you know, have you been able to buy food? And can we help you with something? If anything, the people here have been really enabling because there have been times when I've reached areas where I can't pass without either the police giving me permission or crossing into property and trespassing, you know, and then being like, hi, sorry, I'm here. I know I shouldn't be, but I really just need to get through over there. Or in Colombia, for example, I walked into a indigenous community not knowing there's no gate that says closed to anyone else, anyone foreign slash that's not indigenous. And I'd been so fortunate to be able to go through all of Peru and Ecuador, where if you turn up to an indigenous group, you just be like, hey, I'm just passing through, is that okay, la, 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 la. this is what I'm doing. I'm not even asking for permission, they're just, they suss you out and then let you through without it being a thing. But in Colombia, they're more formal, so, you know, you need to talk to the group representatives, like they have like these local councils, so you've got to write to them first, you can't just turn up and be assumptive or you get kicked out, and I did, I got kicked out twice. Once because I didn't know better, um, and then I rang the, um, it's called the Consejo, I rang them and they were like, yes, of course, we'll let everyone know you're coming. And then after then, people kept an eye out for me and then they would want to ask me questions or walk with me and it was just so beautiful. And then the second time was because I let somebody else organise it for me who was had been there to this area maybe 20 years ago and it didn't work that way back then when they'd been there. Um, and so I said to them, do you have permission? Have you asked? And he's like, tranquilo. He was really like, <laughs> like dismissive. What would you know? And, and that really irritated me because I got two Ks down the road and got kicked out. Like they came and found me, brought me back and told me, and they wouldn't even, they wouldn't listen. Like, because you can imagine, I've just turned up to, to their, to what their understanding. I have turned up and I've just assumed that I can go and I've really irritated them. So they're never going to turn around and go, yes, sure, you can come through now that you've asked. Thanks so much. And um, it was so frustrating because someone, before I started, someone said, do you have permission? And I was like, yeah, he said that I do, but I'm not sure because it wasn't me that asked. And all of this is happening in Spanish, which, like, I can only just have a bare, the bare minimum conversation. And it could have been avoided. But then it meant that I then had to go back and it, it was a complicated area to get into. And then I had to walk further north and then try again. And it was like, okay, if I don't have permission now, I've just lost all my chances. So this time it really has to work. And this guy, who was really apologetic, but he's like a kind of like a father figure. So yeah. it's like he knew, and he's like, I'll just sign, you just skip this section and I'll sign a thing that says that you couldn't do it and everything will be fine. And I'm like, that's not how world records work. You don't yeah. just get uh, like a signed sick notice from your dad <laughs> that says she was too sick this day. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, it's okay. I'll just, I'll try and find another way. And um, yeah. I did, but I was very careful to leave him out of the planning oh and <laughs> just give yeah. him the bare minimum information so he didn't undo. Un uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for anyone listening that's not from a Spanish-speaking background, tranquilo basically means stay calm or keep calm or the, colloquially the equivalent is something like, take it easy, you know, yeah. Oh, calm down. I got this. But it's so, it can be like a really affectionate thing, but it can also be a very derogatory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
yeah, yeah, calm down. And that's how he was using it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So always, if you're ever somewhere and someone says tranquilo, just beware. (laughs) Yeah, like I've I've seen people get tattoos because they really love the word tranquilo because it's kind of like, you know, whatever goes. That's that's a nice way that it can be used. Like, oh, you want to come through my property? Yeah. No problem. It can yeah. be. It no problem Too is easy. the uh, the nice way. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Whatever. However. Whatever feels good, dude. Just do it. Yeah. Um. But then it's also like, yeah. Yeah. It's Not also that. like, yeah. I, I have no idea what I'm doing, but tranquilo. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. Or you wouldn't know what you're talking about, so don't worry your little mind about it. <laughs> mm, yeah. If you haven't already, find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or TikTok, where you can catch additional content and grace us with your thoughts. Thanks again, and enjoy the rest of the episode. You know, actually, there's so much, right? Because when you set up, set out on an expedition like this, and when you talk to people about doing something like this, the whole idea of walking from the, you know, the south of the of the planet, I guess I'll say, to to the north. <laughs> Um, you're thinking about obviously the distance, the geography, the terrain, all of that. And it's really great that someone with your background is doing this because you do have such an appreciation for indigenous cultures and that you have been able to appreciate the, I guess, diverse cultural immersiveness, I'm going to say, of the experience, right? Even though you don't have strong Spanish. Yeah, um, and... You know, just to add a layer to this, when I'm in these Indigenous groups, like the further north I go, it seems like most of them do speak Spanish, but actually the reality is in South America, they don't. They, they, they speak in a whole other language. Um, and there might be one or two people who speak Spanish in that community, but never the, there were never the people I met. And so I would have to go back to charades. And, I, like, I would try and learn a few words which they really appreciate that I was trying and, you know, I remember someone writing to me and being like, don't take advantage of the Argentinian people. Like, they're very generous, but don't don't lean on it. And I was like, I can make genuine relationships with people without using them, you know? Like, I'm not out here to get a freebie from people. Like, I found that really offensive that they felt that they needed to tell me that. But then I have come to realise that there really are people who um, travel and they try to they try and do trips like this without bringing any money at all and they are trying to show that you can live off the generosity of other people yeah. but unfortunately the people those people are people who are impoverished so it's like like to be taking advantage of that as someone who could actually provide something to them you know like i when i was in the south of argentina chocolate cost ten dollars a block and i would always have a block just for emergency food but if i pass through these regions they don't even have it in their shops because it's so expensive so i would give them that because it's just something so cheap for me in comparison to what they can afford that of course i'm going to be generous and then you see what they what they do which is they will put it on the top shelf where no yeah. one's going to eat it and then when they have a guest they're going to share it with a guest like it's just the most beautiful like yeah they really want to get like ah oh, it's really so, like, it's the best part of, of all of this travel is um, that exchange. It's very touching. It's very heartwarming. And just even sitting here talking to you now, seeing how your face lights up while you talk about those experiences, those real beautiful, genuine human experiences, I'm kind of getting little goosebumps and there's a tiny little tear welling up in my eye thinking about it as well. 
because those, those are the moments that I know I live for as well. They're the ones that I know I remember. Yeah. You know, those ones. Yeah, that... I think a lot of us do, especially mm. because it can just be growing up can be so brutal, right? Like we just can be. I know, mm. like people were awful to me, and I know that I was awful to some people too. Mm. You know, like it's just what ends up happening in that environment yeah Yeah. and so now I guess if there's always this pursuit to have to have these beautiful exchanges between people and I really do value the generosity and kindness and the inclusion that Mm. I've been granted through throughout this journey yeah you know it's it's interesting that we're sort of on this topic so many ways that I could take this but I did something that really resonated with me while I was reading through some of your blog, I guess, was this part, like the human um, interaction part. And you talk about having faced bullying in the past, you know, let's just say in the workplace. And yeah, I guess it's really interesting. It's actually really funny that that once I had my, um, for example, once I had my bike accident on the way to work, um, I took a few weeks off. And I was actually teaching people how to skateboard. I couldn't type on a keyboard. Um, I couldn't even put a belt on around my pants because I couldn't move my shoulder because my, my, my shoulder was injured. But I could still skate up and down the beach and teach people how to skate. And this was all happening around the same time. I just had decided that I wanted to teach people how to skate on my local beach for free. And I realized that, hang on, this was bigger than me. This was bigger than anything. These human interactions that I was having with these people and teaching them something that maybe they'd been afraid to do their whole lives and I was just teaching them for free and they were like, why are you teaching me for free? Why aren't you asking any money for any money? Why are you doing this? And I was just, you know what? You just don't understand. It's just because I love it. Um, yeah. And then... Sort yeah, of- and it gives back more. Like I think it really surprises me um, when I meet people that have never done a volunteer gig before. And maybe it's because there isn't, like for me, I've raised puppies for the guide dogs and I've done that for a long, long time. And that's volunteer, but I love animal. I like, I love working with dogs. I love training them. So for me, it was an easy logical fit, but to volunteer and do something bigger than for your own self-interest really does give you back a lot. And I mean, you talk to any old person, they'll tell you that. And um, it really does enrich your life yeah yeah and yeah just thinking back to that time for me personally i was experiencing a little bit of bullying in the workplace and for me reading your story it kind of almost affirmed to me that yes when you are in an environment that is emotionally challenging and such as environments where you get bullied and that happens to people a lot at work a lot more than we care to admit as a society um Mm. and then you go and do something like go and teach people how to skateboard or decide to go and trek the length of the world and you start having these really you know unique beautiful human experiences um that's i feel like that's when you realize that you're in the right place that you're on the right wavelength in life you're swimming with the current this time instead of against it that makes sense yeah it's kind of i like i like to explain that like um when you are playing a computer game where you get to decide your own adventure and you can usually in the stereotypical games you can choose to be the good character or you can choose to be the evil one and it's the same like you can really consciously try to be helpful and understanding Mm. and realize that there's always more going on behind that person's story and realize 
as well with humility that you are the hero of your own story. So try and take yourself out of it and, and see things from the other people's perspective and be generous. And that's really difficult, especially growing up, because, of course, you're trying to find your own place in the world. And that also means protecting yourself and being selfish at times. So, yeah, I mean, I guess what I'm saying here is just always have faith that you'll find the people who mm. chose the... I don't want to say righteous path because we never know if we're on the one that's the, the better the better path. But you'll find people who are in line with your own ideals. Yes. Or you'll feel like things are just easier. Yeah, exactly. It's like the difference between a good and bad relationship, you know? Like sometimes you're just not right for the person or yeah. Yeah, and you're just trying to you're trying to keep going, you keep showing up to work or you keep showing up to that relationship, yeah. giving it your all. And then suddenly yep. you're somewhere else talking to someone else and it's just so easy and that's exactly. when you see the difference. Yeah. And I love Oh, that's it. so true. Yeah. I really <laughs> it's like when it. you want to be really good at something and then one day you just realize, you know, I'm never gonna be a great singer. I should just stop <laughs> trying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'd be a great yodeler. Um <laughs> wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. Yeah, if you just like you just gave up on singing, you just won the world yodeling championships instead. And how happy are you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's really what you wanted in the end. You know, was to be yeah. known. Um, yeah. Um, but that that's one of the I think one of the great triumphs I I felt about your story was that you've managed to sort of put yourself in positions where, as you sort of put it, you could be the hero of your story and you could give back and also just really easily encounter just this generosity that was coming towards you constantly. I just really love that. I really love that. I, I feel like, especially over the last couple of years of the, of the pandemic, that, you know, with different ideals around how it was sort of, you know, how it all happened and why it occurred and how it was all managed, I feel like society has become more and more polarised. And so I, I'm constantly looking for these stories around how, you know, how we can find common ground with each other. And for me, yeah. listening to you talk about being in such a foreign place you know just a, it's the other side of the world it's it's at times a hostile environment where they speak a totally different language but that you can have these just ah oh, moments with these complete strangers oh, totally and i think that's it too you know like um i'm constantly warned by people who haven't been for example we all know that Colombia has a terrible reputation, right? So there's so many people who were trying to tell me that um, I'm going to die there <laughs> or maybe you should skip that country or blah, 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 like whatever, whatever the fear is that they have. And it's just kind of, for me, it's really frustrating, but I tolerate it because sometimes someone's going to have real information that's going to help me. But to be constantly having to listen to the fears of other people and that they have it because they've never been and they don't really know the situation and then to pass through you just have to realize that people live there, women live there, um, and there is a way to be there and be safe. But it does mean listening to locals and knowing who to listen to, not just like, you know, I've been stopped by women before who have been really worried, genuinely worried, but they're also a bit, like, crazy. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you can't leave this town because you'll be killed or raped. And they try and act it out to make me real, so that I really understand right. what they're saying. And no, the, you know, you, I walk down a little bit further and, I'm, and I'll stop a man and I'll be like, hey, is this area secure? Like, it seems like it's a working area and, you know, where there are farmers and men going about their day to get to work usually is more secure, like it's safer. 
and so they'll be like, yeah, here, it's tranquil, or like that's the, or like, well, here. yeah, here it is, tranquil, or um, they'll say it's seguro, it's secure. But then, of course, like when I was also in Colombia, I tried to go along a beautiful trail that I had seen um, that from like five years ago was really good, and then the police stopped me, and they're like, no, one of our colleagues was assassinated there three days ago, don't go there, it's really complicated right now, so then I was like, okay. I'll reroute. So I changed my direction and then, you know, I just keep checking in with the police and they're like, nope, here is good, here is good, here is good. But one dude, like, wasn't paying attention because he was busy flirting with this girl. <laughs> and um, I got to an area that was a really hot pot. Like, you do not go into this area, but he just forgot <laughs> to tell me. Yeah, and um, a community <laughs> of women, a group of women, like, one lady came up to me and asked me, and I, was, I misunderstood what she was saying. Um, because I heard, like, she was asking me if I was going to La Puerto, which is, like, the colloquial name of this place. So I thought she was saying Aeropuerto, are you going to the airport? I'm like, ah, that's days away. Don't worry about it, lady. I'm like, I'll be going a different direction by then. And she was like, okay, good. <laughs> we misunderstood each other. And then another group of women came, and they're like, come over, come over. And I'm like, ooh, I know. Like, I've seen that expression before. Um, at the time, I was walking with a friend. And they were like, oh, can we just keep going? You know, like it's, it was a big day. We just wanted to rest. And um, they were like, you cannot stop here. From this point, from our place onwards, it's like you will be robbed and possibly go missing. You need to change the direction that you're going. You'll be okay if you go this way. And we were like, I was like, oh, it's so annoying because that's now going to turn my 40K day into a 55K day, which is what ended up happening. It was just like, you know, you really don't want to listen because you're tired and the easiest option is straight. But they were serious, so serious that um, they then, I said, okay, I understand. I'll go straight to the Pan Am Highway from here and then I'll go around. Anyway, they then sent like two of their male family members to cut the street off physically where we weren't to go. And we were like, yeah, we understand. Don't worry about it. And then an hour later, I'm going past like this other shortcut road. And I was like, yeah, definitely. Maybe I can go through that way because it's kind of out of that area and a lady came out of that road on her motorbike and said is it safe to walk down this road and she's like she shook her head <laughs> and um I was like okay let's keep going up to the Pan Am and then it, just as we kept walking and passed that street another four-wheel drive came and stopped to cut us off from going down that street and they're like hey you need to keep going to Pan Am do not go down this way either like it's not safe so they had the insight to think, oh, there's another road that they might be tempted to take and stopped us. Then I got to the Pan Am and, man, we were so tired. We'd now at this point walked 40 kilometers without taking a rest all day, right? And Wombat, it was like 2 o'clock in the afternoon, so it was getting hot. And I was like, we need to rest. Why don't we go into town, get something to eat, and then keep going? Mm. <laughs> and then the police turn up and they're like, do not go into that town. It is a problematic town. There are a lot of – and it turns out it's just full of armed gangs. So it's not, it's not gorillas, that's a whole nother kill. It's just like young people trying to be tough and they've got like knives and guns or whatever and then they just, it's so common for them to rob people. So, <laughs> and apparently everyone that lives in Colombia knows about this area except the police officer that had a chat with me because he was distracted, right? Um, so I was like, well, this is what I'm doing and I really, it's really important that I walk through here and um, the police turned up and they're like, you can't, you've got to keep, you, you cannot walk through, like, why are you doing this? And I was like, explained. And they're like, oh, okay, well, in that case, we'll give you an escort, we'll drive behind you. And I tell you what, I was so scared, I have never walked six kilometres 
in 30 minutes in my life before, but that day, that's how fast I walked. I had to put Wombat in the police car because he needed a rest and he was just not going to do it. Then um, he wouldn't settle down in the car, so he was barking and barking and barking. And I um, went back to the police because I was like, they're not going to put up with this dog barking in the cabin for like however long it takes me to walk this distance. So I went back to the police and I said, look, I just have to have some strong words with my dog so he understands that he needs to calm down. And then I go to the back seat where he was sitting and I realised that he's not comfortable, like he's sitting on top of something. So I reach in to move it and I just said to the police officer, put a missile, which is like, excuse me. And I reach in and I grab this thing off the seat and lift it up and he takes it off me and as he's like, I'm like, oh, whoopsie. And as he's taking it from me, I realise it's a grenade launcher. So like we're really in a seriously high risk area. <laughs> so, and poor Wombat was lying on top of it. Yeah. So poor Wom, you heard me before. I was like, when I say I had to have strong words with him, yeah. all I do yeah. is I tell him go to bed and he understands what that means. And he means I'm not kidding around. You need to lie down and calm down. So he did. After that, he was totally fine. I was like completely scared that I was in an area that I didn't want to be in. Um, and But there's no alternate route, and I've got police behind me, and they failed to explain to me that with them there, it was perfectly safe. Right. No one's going <laughs> right. to... And not only that, but it's like six kilometres of riffraff, and as soon as you're out of that area, you're safe again, which is ridiculous. Like, don't these people have legs, you know? And anyway, what is? <laughs> so as soon as I got past there, they were happy to leave me to go about my day again. Yeah. Um, and what was good is that then some cyclists came past who were planning to stay in that town, and I was like, no, you need to, you can't stay there. <laughs> oh, wow. Honestly. It's so funny that your journey in science is such a grand macro scale, like, you know, really yes. walking the length of the earth, but then you have these micro interactions that are just... Good way to put it. Yeah, and every, every area has a different, like, security rating or a different level of kindness. Mm. And so sometimes I'll pass through areas and I have such a good time because people just really care and they're curious. Like Panama, Panamanians are so curious. They just want to know everyone's story. So I'm having such a good time here because there's just frequent interaction. Whereas in other places, it's just being so cold and I haven't been able to talk to people and it, that's when it gets really lonely. Here, it's like more than anything, I want some time alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, while you've been doing this, like I mentioned earlier, I've been watching some YouTube clips from some news programs. A few of them seem like they were a little while ago, four or five years ago, some of these episodes were shot. Um, yeah. And so... While you're doing this, not only are you you're managing yourself, you're managing Wombat, you've also got people back home that sort of assist you. There's a doctor, there's a, a team that looks after your security. Just yeah. Yeah, bring everyone up to speed on a little bit of the support that you get, just on, on a high level. Okay. So firstly, I have companies that really support me and give me like advice when I need to change equipment because I'm constantly changing climates and it's impossible for me mm -hmm. to receive equipment all the time like I actually depend on people who are traveling to write to me and be like hey I'm coming to Costa Rica and I know that you're going to be there soon so can I bring a pack of stuff for you and I'm always like yes what's your address <laughs> so the, and those companies will then send me equipment like Paddy Palin and Cedar Summit they, anything that I want they will send to me for free no questions asked and I don't even have to do anything in, in exchange like it's really kind of them yeah um so that takes off a huge mental chunk of like of researching equipment and what's going to be best for me they know what my priorities are and they work with that 
and then I have a security team. That's more for like, I really lean on that when I'm crossing through very high risk areas and I'll say to them, this is my plan. This is the measures I'm going to take if this scenario happens or this scenario happens. Can you watch every day and make sure that if it, for any reason, if I divert from course and I haven't written to you, you need to raise the alarm. And so we have a whole process for that. But that's the extent. Otherwise, I mean, they're not here, right? So the day-to-day security rests on my shoulders and I need to be vigilant and talk constantly talk to people to ensure I'm going a good, good route. And then... I mean, there's just so much. Then I have someone that just wrote to me and they, they created a map for me so people can see where I'm up to. It's on pause at the moment because I've just gone through a high-risk area, so I had to shut it down for my own security. <laughs> you put me on the spot now, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to forget someone and they're going to think I'm such a jerk for forgetting. <laughs> yeah, and then I've got so I've got a friend who's a, um, a doctor, and so when I'm sick, I can text from my beacon so my I have this satellite beacon that tracks where I'm going but it also means that I can message people mm-hmm. and I get 40 messages for incoming and outgoing messages everything's counted yeah. each month and so if I'm sick I can be like okay here's a list of the antibiotics I have here are my symptoms which one should I give a go right. okay. <laughs> or um, one time with the security team there was um, detonation going off so the government was building a road through this really remote mountainous area and they were like literally blowing up parts of the mountain to make way and I had to hear them and I was like okay how far away do I need to be do I need to change my trail or am I secure where I am and I was I was fine but it's just nice to be able to access that reassurance and I think having a beacon itself really is a game changer mentally because you're never out of contact mm. but then you know, what's really difficult is that I'm in a foreign language speaking place and I don't always have signal, so I can't always talk to family and friends. And that, when it comes to isolation, is probably the most difficult thing is just mm. that I'm not always in reach other than in the case of emergency where I can at least write to someone and get a reply because of the satellites that control that communication. Um, and then when I write a story or something like that, I've got a group of friends who are very good at spelling because I am not (laughs) and they will read through and they'll be like that word doesn't exist did you mean this and I'm like yes that's the word I meant (laughs) (laughs) you speak perfectly fine I think I've made up a word before expeditioning Uh, I'm not sure yeah when I'm writing like no you're right it's more that but you know three people on average will have read that story before it gets published because I will write something and to me it looks right um, but then when someone else reads it, it's like I've used the wrong word. And it might it's not usually like a grammatical error. It's just like trial and trail is one that I look out for because I just write it because it feels good that way. And then I read it and I read trail because of my head has decided that that's what I wrote. Yeah. And then a friend of mine will be like, what's this trial business? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's hard because I was reading that part of your blog about the accident but like your writing style makes it really hilarious at times like some of the things that you say about being doped to the eyeballs with enough painkillers to drop an elephant <laughs> like i was like yeah I, I was really out of control they gave me a lot um but you know i think it's i i get i'm fallible you know i mean i think i'm very happy to take the piss about myself because I know that I'm just like floundering around trying to, like I'm not a professional hiker. I, there's still so much I have to learn. And I'm sure when I get to the States, I'll be like, why didn't I do a walk here first so that I could learn all this shit and not have to walk 
three quarters of the length of the world to then learn it at the very end. Um, and I think that's nice, you know, like I, I think it means that when people are reading my content um, or interacting with me, they can relate because I'm not mm-hmm. putting myself on that untouchable pedestal that yeah. so many adventurers legitimately are on, you know, because yeah. they are experts in their field. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And there's a couple of things that you've touched on during our chat just now that I really value and I value a lot in life in general that I don't hear enough. Just then you mentioned taking the piss out of yourself and I've got a small but global audience. So for those that don't know what taking the piss out of yourself is, it's just making fun of yourself. That's an Aussie way of saying it. But also you mentioned the word humility and I just think that's such an honorable trait to have these days. It's not a trait that we talk about very much. We, I noticed the other day that we talk about or we think about vulnerability a lot, you know, putting, making ourselves vulnerable, opening up and stuff. But humility is a little different, I think. And mm-hmm. I love that you... And it's really... In- yeah, I love that you focus on that. But go. Oh, I was just going to say it's very important in a survival scenario as well. So if you are a person that's interested in getting into the outdoors and being adventurous, it's good to know that... If you are questioning yourself often and double-checking your assumptions, it's those people who are more likely to survive a survival scenario. Whereas someone who's overconfident and just is arrogant and assumes that they're going the right direction, they're the ones that usually come unstuck when things really heat up. So it is, it's good to know, and I think anyone in this industry long-term you're always going to learn something new. There's always a better way of doing things. Technology changes so much that you really need to be willing to listen to people, whether they're new or younger than you or whatever, because you just never know when you're going to get a piece of information that in the future could save your life. Yeah, yeah, super valuable, I guess. And while you were saying that, I was like, well, hang on, that doesn't just sort of stop at adventurers. I'm thinking about just everyday people, like be questioning yourself uh, and being able to continuously question yourself, being able to admit when you were wrong, but not sort of need to not feel like you need to apologize for it necessarily, being able to take advice from younger people that might be more experienced than you in something. Yeah, yeah, totally. Whether it's Um, in the corporate world or in the desert in South America. And I think it is nice to acknowledge too, you know, like sometimes I'll go back to someone and say, oh, thanks so much for that information you gave me. It meant X, Y, and Z. Because it just means that it creates a psychologically safe place to have conversations with those people later, you know, and to keep learning and and even just for your own self-validation, you know, like, yeah, it's okay. I learned that. That's really cool. Thank you. Yes. You're not just fostering an open environment with yourself, but you're fostering that open environment, open communication within the community as well and going, hey, you know what? Thank you. Yes. I learned something from you. Thank you for having the courage to approach me with that information, even though I didn't ask. Or stick with me because I was not willing to hear you, but you like kept at it. I love that. (laughs) There's so much beauty in that. I I really do love that. And I I guess one of the things that you talk about is that, you know, people, and you mentioned earlier, people say to you, why? Like, or people used to say, why? When you told them that you were going to do this thing and you mentioned that, well, hang on. I think in an interview, you mentioned that, well, you're not the only one that has this crazy idea. There's four people a year that set off on this and there's only 10 men, apparently, that have completed this and and not one woman. And so you've gotten this far. Do you put it down to that humility and taking the piss? Oh, um, 
Uh, I think really it's just that I am here because I want to be here. There was a moment where it got all too hard. Everything had broken and I had these major injuries. I was in a lot of pain and I quit. And then I spent some time recovering and hanging out with new friends and they convinced me to keep going. And I was like, okay, I'm going to keep going and every day is just an extra, mm. like an extra bonus. And giving myself that freedom to walk away whenever I want to, like today, even now, like I was saying to the taxi driver earlier, that I'm perfectly comfortable with the idea that I may not finish. And I, it's really important to me that I have that out available all the time because, yeah, it could get to a point where there's a roadblock and I just can't get through and I'm not going to put myself at risk by forcing it, I think that's really mm. reckless. And life changes. So if I'm not the one to do it, then I might be the person that supports someone else yeah. to be the first. Mm. And um, maybe they'll have an easier go at it because of the doors I can open for them. Who knows? But I think knowing that I've chosen to be here is really why I'm still here. And because I want to be. I like I like walking. I, love, I do like hiking. And because I know that I have an end goal of being a writer and being able to return to some of these places and showcase these beautiful stories and that every day that I'm out here I'm meeting new networks of people who I'll be able to revisit and showcase their stories mm. so yeah I think I'm here I've always been here because I wanted to be yeah. I know that people want the glamorous full-blown story about how the idea was perceived but I mean ultimately I've always been here because I want to be mm. and it's just that for a beautiful journalistic answer, they want something more, you know, like yeah. there have been articles about the accident and that's the reason I'm here yeah. um, and that's why I have that media page because it was just lazy journalism. Someone wrote a story and said that this girl wasn't able to walk or talk and then she had, and that, because of that, da 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 And it's, I'm like, that's really unfair to everyone because, no, I had the idea and I pursued it because I wanted to yeah. and it makes people feel like I really don't like how to do something adventurous uh, or something that seems indulgent nowadays I feel more and more we have to couple it with a greater cause like a fundraiser or something something else rather than just giving ourselves permission to do it because we want to like isn't that the point of life like you work hard to pursue the things that you're passionate about so why is it that because I want to do it isn't a good enough answer it's crazy no it's just so oh god it feels so good to hear someone finally say it why does everything need to be about a fundraiser? I don't understand. Yeah. And I look, I, I appreciate that people do that, but I love that you just got out of bed and wanted to do something and you don't feel like you need to do it for anyone else other than yourself, but you yep. appreciate the value that you can add to so many other people's experience, maybe down the track, just by doing the thing that you're doing. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, I donate to charities and I give my time to a lot of causes that I believe in. I give a lot. Um, but I just don't feel like I need to tell the world about it yeah. or base my yeah. extravagant activities exactly. yeah. on hinging it on that excuse. Yeah, yeah. Because I was reading that part of your, your blog, obviously, which I've mentioned a few times now. Um, but you, you talked about your, your mate Jace, you know, and his struggle with dystonia and then some of the initiatives or some of the pledges that you were making, you know, to support his cause, I guess, as well. Yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah. like I gave him all of my accommodation money, which <laughs> meant that I had some very, very cold nights. But like whatever, you know, that's hardly anything in comparison to the struggle that he went through recovering from dystonia. But it, but it is just... Again, not something that you need to mention, but something that you're 
it's yeah. important for people to know just in case they're wondering, you know, why yeah. why didn't you have accommodation money? Well, you know, you've obviously given them a reason for it. But it's just, yeah, your level of generosity is actually mind-boggling to me. But, yeah, obviously something that I can also appreciate as well. Um, that's probably the biggest thing, that you're doing all of this. And on top of that, you're being just so generous with your time, with me right now, with everyone else that's interviewed you, with all of these other strangers, um, with your friend Jace. You know, like that's my key takeaway about this big, long walk that you're doing. It's just connecting yeah. human beings yeah right and I know like it's it's nice what you're saying but the reality is too like when I give my time away or when I am generous I get it back in spades you know like it's you do yeah it's it's not really I'm not I don't feel like I'm being especially selfish philanthropic yeah philanthropic yeah yeah not selfish selfless that's what I mean um but yeah actually and again it's one of those things that I realized through the skate lessons um I was giving so much of my time away for these people and people couldn't understand why and it was just impossible for me I wasn't able to articulate at the time how much I was getting back um from those interactions yeah. how that how much they were filling me up and I think you're right like we end up looking more philanthropic than we actually are because deep down we know we're getting a lot out of this too and it's not necessarily yeah yeah everything is in exchange yeah it might not be the same currency you're valuing money but i'm actually valuing human interaction and this smile a little more you know that fills me up that'll take me an extra 40 kilometers that next day or something just having that one Yeah. yeah i love that i love that about you actually yeah, learning more and more about you like these past couple of months, it has really become apparent that you're, you're more than someone that's just going on a big walk and you're very funny too. So that's an added bonus, cherry on top. But, but I mean, we've, we've spoken for a little while now and I guess I've taken up so much of your morning there. Um, but- yeah, I've got, I've got a breakfast date coming up actually. Um, someone that has been really helpful for me in learning about Panama, um, we're catching up. So as a thank you, we're going to go out for breakfast this morning i'm really looking forward to it yeah are you doing is there some traditional panamanian breakfast that you no no i'm going all out gringo (laughs) (laughs) Um, i'll be having like a a, like a milky coffee like a a latte because flat whites aren't a thing here yeah um and probably because i'm in town something fresh because i just live off so much deep fried stuff that um while I can, I try and eat as many vegetables and salads and fruit salads as humanly possible. <laughs> yeah, diet. Oh, man, such a thing. Cool. And I guess, you know, like you've you've given us so much of your learnings throughout this whole experience. What wisdom do you, are you going to leave us with today? And Or is there something that you don't normally talk about on podcasts that you're, or, or shows that you're just like, you know what, I need to say that on a show? Oh, um, yeah, I don't really spend a lot of time thinking about the messages I would um, impart with people if I had the opportunity, but something that does come up is just that sometimes people are uh, watching interviews like this and they're like, okay, that's good for her, but it could never be me. And um, there's two sides of that. One is the financial side, and I fully acknowledge that, you know, it's harder for some people to do what I do purely based on that and I've had to really work hard to have an income stream while I'm here and I work a lot as well so there's that but actually I think the biggest hurdle for you know I feel like you're really vulnerable when you've got this idea and it may not be like it could be that you want to walk the length of the world but it could be 
that you want to start a business or you want to write a coffee table book or just something that you really feel insecure about. Mm. And um, I would say that my the best enablers that I've had in those scenarios is telling people, not necessarily like my best friend or, or um, a family member, but telling someone who I know is going to be supportive and really encourage me and being very selective in those first moments about who you talk to and really to protect the idea because I think that really we allow other people to become the excuse of why we didn't do something rather than being careful and knowing that we're vulnerable and, and, and going for it in a, in a strategic way. And then I would also say that sometimes if you've got a grand idea, maybe just like if it's, a, for example, a coffee table book, that's a, that's a lot of work. You've got to find a publisher. You've got to figure out how to sell it. Are you going to like what kind of paper? Are you, you know, there's just so much to learn. So rather than being overwhelmed by that, just writing a list, like what's the, what are the, some themes I can explore? What kind of photos do I want to take? How am I going to make, what kind of criteria do I want? Am I going to have words in this book? How many? How's it, what's it going to look like? And putting all of that down into a program of, for a project makes the project seem so much easier because it's like, okay, well, this week I'm just going to do these two things. And then next week we'll see how I went and see if I need to keep doing that or if I can move on to a new task. Mm-hmm. And and that truly has been my secret to being able to pursue yeah. random and unusual projects yes. in the past and including this one. Oh, that's so funny that you say that. And it's, I mean, it's, it's great advice and it's beautiful advice, but if I pair that up with how this whole idea was incubated, sitting on that bus wondering if you could walk faster <laughs> than it, and then going, wondering if I could walk past you know, faster than this bus, I'm going to put that on a project management software into a project management software <laughs> and see if I can Pretty much what happens. M- multiply that by the uh, length of the world and then see if it's possible. Yeah. And as you can imagine too, the, the, rolling out this project, it never followed the project management plan. Never has the schedule been on running on time. It's just yeah. that um, having tools like that to support you and knowing that you need to be flexible and that, that your plan will never run according to the original intent. That's totally cool. So long as you're still having fun and allowing yourself to enjoy what you're doing, that's key. Yeah, I guess the last thing that I'm dying to sort of know is that do you ever feel inside that you're you're never going to be able to return back to some kind of life that you maybe had Do you know the most valuable thing I've seen since being over here is, so every time I write a blog, George Megan, who's the first man to walk the length of the earth, whose trail I'm following, right. more or less, who, and he's the only person to actually have walked from the polar most extreme towns, which is what I'm doing as well. So I'll be the second person to do that. Every time I write a blog, he writes to me and he sends me a little encouragement. And he's like, I don't know how you do it in this day and age. And I'm like, I don't know how you did it without like digital maps. Okay. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, like I feel like I don't, I, like, I think I've lost, completely lost my track of train of thought then. <laughs> thinking about how wonderful it is that George is writing to me all the time. Uh, what were you saying? No, no, it's like... I, I love that. I, I, I asked you. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like so touched and pleased about George that I'm like, I have no, I have no idea what the original well, question was. I'm sure that you started off by even answering my question, but um, I'm really glad that you were able to add George in there. I, I was asking you if you ever feel like at some point, like, Oh, back to your life, gotcha. the life that you had. Yes. So, George, um, there we go. Ben, That's why. I saw, 
Yeah, because George did this, right? And then when he went to integrate back into regular life, he lost his identity because for seven years this had been his yeah. thing. Like, it's all he, all he ever did. And he suddenly felt less special. And, you know, he had two children and married while he was on this journey. But then when they went to live a normal life, it just didn't pan out and they ended up breaking up as a couple. And he really struggled with it for a long time. I know all of this because there was a beautiful film made about it and about him being humble and talking about how he, he really he struggled with all of that. Yeah. Um, I feel like I've, it sounds familiar. I, yeah, maybe. It's on YouTube. I've got it linked, I think, in, my, in along my playlists. I'll have to have a, have a check. And it's just the story is told in a very compelling way and it was a great warning to me. You know, do not peg your life and your identity on this one expedition. And so now when people talk to me about why I'm here, I talk about how I have this dream of being a writer and what I really want to be doing is celebrating the way of life of other people that's different to us and sharing it in a way that's with compassion and love so that even though as a society or as a readership we can read this story and identify that it's different to us and we would never live that way, we can really respect and revere it. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Yeah. And it's almost like George's trek has helped you in some way. And Oh, big time. And even just having him support and, yeah. and write back, like it's very it's very nice. Yeah. He must look at you and go, She gets it. She's probably the only woman on earth that knows what I've been through. Yeah, I mean but then again no, because he walked through where while there were wars going on between Argentina, Chile and um Peru and like there was a long period of time where it was really he didn't really realize because he was in remote areas about what was going on but he was here during some fairly hairy times and also you know how we were talking before about you know when you go through a trauma enough time passes you don't really identify with it anymore because it's so far in the past I think for him as well like even for me it's really hard for me to imagine that I've walked the length of South America because it seems like so long ago (laughs) and it started a long time ago but I know I've done it because I can see the pins on the map, you know, like I've definitely done it, but it doesn't feel like it. And it doesn't feel like I'm walking to Alaska either, but it's just something that I'm doing part by part. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, this has been one of my favorite conversations ever. Just, uh, it's, it's, the, I still got the goosebumps from before when I can't, finally realized that I was going to be chatting to this woman that I saw on a film, at a film festival 18 months earlier, <laughs> you know, and. <laughs> funny because usually I come across as so whimsical and whatevs like yeah yeah it's just me yeah yeah but um here we are and it's it's been so great to get to know you I feel like we could go on and on and on and hopefully we'd get to chat again and maybe I'll just meet you somewhere and we'll just do it in person next time who knows oh yeah well yeah and if anyone's watching and they're very fit and able <laughs> to keep up with me um there are areas that are coming up that i will be hoping to find people that can either drive behind me on their i overlander trip or because there are people that travel the length of the americas on car it's really common yeah, or right. by bike and i'm hoping that through some of these um smaller countries i'll be able to have people come along with me yeah. or at least be close by to keep an eye out that's so awesome that's so awesome and so Again, so where can people find you? It's Tangles and Tail on Instagram. I know that. And the website mm-hmm. is yep. tanglesandtail.com. And I am branching out to YouTube. So if you want to check that out, you can look via the at LucyFulls.Barnard. That's my – actually, I don't even think there's a full stop in there. See, I'm so up to date with all of my social stuff. <laughs> you know what? Anyone that's going to be reading through the show notes here, 
which is attached to this episode. We'll, we'll get the links anyway. Cool. Leave it to you. <laughs> I haven't typed in a URL You can do ages. my job for me. Yeah, I'll do that for you. No problem. But um, yeah, it's been really great to have you. Hopefully this has been a really great experience for you too. Thank you for coming on my humble little podcast, Lucy. It means a lot. And Pleasure. it's so great speaking to an Aussie, honestly. You're just, oh, you're just all, always a pleasure to speak to Aussies no matter where you are in the world because we just have this funny way of looking at life. It's nice to connect. Just the accent and knowing that my jokes are safe because, you know, they don't always run well past other groups (laughs) all good here all safe here for sure for sure and hopefully the audience appreciated them too but yeah i just wanted to say a big thanks and um yeah it's it's been awesome likewise thank you i've been i've really enjoyed chatting with you we'd love to know what you thought of that episode of the louis diaz podcast you can find us on instagram facebook youtube and even tiktok to let us know and be sure to follow subscribe and leave us a review on spotify where you can catch some of our other really great episodes Thanks for listening and catch you next time.